little countdown. Hey, Ben. Hey. How's it going? It's been long, a while. Long time no see. Yeah. I was thinking we could talk about some uh, watching devices and uh, recycling, if that's cool with you. Rem devices? Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I'm down to talk about whatever with you, but I don't know what remote recycling devices remote. <laughs> that's two things, recycling man. Recycling. One and... other thing is we're doing this in less than an hour and we're not editing. Oh, all right. This is Geek Speak. I'm Lyle Troxel, and with me is Ben Jaffe. You just dropped me in here. <laughs> you know, you know it, man. Because the one reason I don't do more episodes is because of all the editing. So I figured, hey, we don't need to edit. We've done this it's for a lot years. of work. Yeah, yeah exactly. Geek Speak is uh, recorded from our homes. Um, I'm in Santa Cruz Mountains, and Ben's in Campbell, Los Gatos, whatever. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, I want to tell you about this really cool um, remote watching device. That, I think that thing, that's the thing that uh, got, brought your attention to uh, what I was saying, right? Remote watching device. Yeah. So first off, when I was, um, you know, when I was in uh, college, I did some college, did some electronics stuff. I, one of the projects I did, which was like a side project, and I think I got credit for something part of it, was a remote listening device. And it uses oh, okay. it uses a laser, um, yeah. and what it does is it bounces a laser off of a surface that's reflective, and you don't actually need to get the exact reflection, but you do need the light to hit something that can both move and also cause enough reflective surface quality that you could pick up again from the sensor in the same device that has a big uh, telescopic lens. So, so as the thing you're bouncing the laser off of uh, vibrates and changes the, the angle, then the light that comes back to your sensor attenuates and changes. And yeah, then you can take that signal and you can ch uh, turn that into back into some sort of a lossy audio signal. And this is exactly how a microphone works. Except for a microphone's um, pickup is because there's a coil or a magnet on the diaphragm that moves and that interferes with another magnet, and that, of course, is electricity. And so you can just get the sense from that. And that's how microphones work. In this situation, what you're doing is you're using, let's say, a big plane of glass, like a window. And that actually, when you're next to a window and you're talking, the window is moving a little bit. It vibrates mm -hmm. from the audio in the room. And so with this listening device that I, that I made, now keep in mind, I, I use somebody else's circuit. I was just following a circuit diagram. It basically, yeah, exactly right. It takes the, picks up the light, and as the light moves and shifts, it senses that movement and shift um, and then turns the electric signal and you get an audio quality. The audio quality sounds a little... Do you remember like the original Matrix when Neo takes the pill and the chrome oh, yeah. thing goes down his throat? Uh, that... Yeah. And you know how that sound has this kind of metal sound to it? Yeah. It like has a high... That's what the audio sounded like. It had this I... kind of like aluminum aluminum yeah. sound to it almost so yeah. i i might be wrong but i i think that's basically the kind of effect that you get as you decrease the um the bit depth basically the resolution of your audio and that makes a lot of sense because you're picking up you're reconstructing audio in a way that it's very lossy and yes. so yeah. you basically can't get high resolution audio because you're you're losing a lot of that resolution and you're yeah 
and the performance the audio performance characteristics of a plane of glass not so good yeah i was that's <laughs> the, the other thing i was gonna say is that your glass is gonna like if you put a big subwoofer that's like boom, boom, next to a plane of glass that plane of glass is gonna move right um because as the air pushes and pulls it the glass has a little bit of time to accelerate and and move but if you if you send it a really high frequency like uh anything up in the range I'm, I'm assuming that we're not over the radio because that would just be filtered out <laughs> um, uh the, that frequency is really high and so that means that your glass would have to move more quickly but your glass is heavy and so you it, it can't and so you probably get um you probably get a pretty significant roll off on the high end of the so if you were to play music and try to reconstruct it you would just lose all of your symbols and you know every sound like they're over underwater. I really, I really have I have that kit and I haven't used it for years. I should pull that back out and record something with it because it really is an interesting uh, qual yeah. effect. Use it more for fun than anything else. The other you thing know. about that project is that I had to figure out how to um, use a, uh, a a laser diode, which at the time now keep in mind this was like in the late nineties. They a were not is, a laser diode is an emitter. Uh, yeah, it's a, well, you know, laser pointers. Yeah. Yeah, so those are all laser diodes. So uh, it used to be that to make a laser was actually a relatively large device. You had to have a crystal that resonated, like a ruby crystal. And you shock, you hit it with light, and the ruby crystal was physically had two parallel ends that were, put a reflective surface on it. Mm -hmm. And so the light would bounce back and forth, bounce back and forth, and eventually would be coherent in the same, you know, a laser. <laughs> I can't remember exactly yeah. what it stands for. Um, but one end had a bit of a would allow some light to come through and that's how you get a laser and so when i yeah. when i first played with lasers it was for that i had this big tube and it was you know it's the size of like a pringles can um that's the laser and then as diodes as, as diode technology got better people are able to make laser diodes and that's just like an led um a light emitting diode mm -hmm. uh, but it's coherent light instead so it's a laser and coherent the... just means aimed all in the same direction it 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 does mean all aimed in the same direction but Light does a strange thing when it aims in the same direction. It actually, you know, about polarized light. Yeah. Okay. So, the quality and of polar, the light po polarization becomes... is like just to explain it. Like I'm five years old and don't <laughs> care luck. about scientific accuracy. Is like whether the whether the uh, light's a particle in a wave or whatever. But thinking of it as a wave, it's like whether it's w wiggling up and down or left and right. And so when you have polarized sunglasses, for example, they'll block, let's say, all of the light that's wiggling from side to side, and you get only the light that's up and down. It might be the opposite, um, but that's uh, you get polarized light bouncing off of cars from the sun, and then you can block more of that reflected light that's like shiny and, and terrible than the rest of the light that's bouncing off of asphalt and devices and, or people and things. And and if you've researched polarized light a little bit, you understand that this idea that it's going up and down versus left and right is not exactly, that's metaphoric. Because <laughs> yep. reality, we're talking about quantum phase characteristics of the light. And it gets, it has to be metaphorical because our brains can't understand that kind of stuff. We won't get into that because as uh, Miles always says, the more you talk about the more you understand quantum physics, the more you, the stupider you get. So... Oh, I, I have a similar one, which is the, the more you learn about quantum physics, the more you believe you know nothing about quantum physics. <laughs> yes, I think that's exactly. And I think that's what the mathematicians that actually study it and know it really well it's exactly like, believe. It's Intuition's like the, gone. the Dunbar graph, but it never goes back up again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> 
that's lovely. Anyway, so when I say coherent light, it's kind of like it's all together, kind of like uh, it's all polarized. And way. you know about polarized light. I'm not saying those are connected. I'm saying that yeah. light has weird effects. Coherent is one of them. And that's what a laser is. So okay, <laughs> laser diodes were um, at first, of course, expensive and difficult and all that stuff. And as you know now, you can like you can get lasers for free because they're, you know, giveaway items. <laughs> they're, it's extremely inexpensive. At the time, though, I recall having to spend like $35 for this laser diode. And it's a very small thing. And as a college kid, I had no money. And uh, so it was a big deal to forget this one laser. Um, uh, in any case, we that put that aside. That was a fun project. And okay. I'll try to record some audio from it at some point and share with you. Also, also cool. I just got to say, these yeah. remote listening, all this remote listening device technology is like really interesting unless you're being sought after by a nation state in which case it's absolutely terrifying yeah because you know like nobody's gonna point a laser at your window and like try to reconstruct the audio from inside of your house unless they're like a nation state who's trying to you know it's, get it's so funny because at the time that's what you could do and the other thing you could do is you could tap phones um and i also made phone taps a lot of fun but in any case, now you can't. I can't. You can't tap physically. You can't tap phones very easily now because it's all digital. But at the time, physical. Uh, anyway, so forward ahead. I'm cu I'm curious about the idea of using a laser remotely to pick up information. Yeah. The article that um, I'm using right now has the title: "A single laser fired through a keyhole can expose everything inside a room." I read visually. this. Yes. This is so this fascinating. Is, but I'll, yeah. I'll play dumb. Okay, cool. You play dumb and ask questions. Yeah. So there's a Gizmodo article about this. And specifically, they're, they're um, talking about research coming out of the Stanford Computational Imaging Lab, yeah. which sounds like a bunch of people that are dealing with computational imaging. And the general idea of this is, again, you, you have a camera and you have a laser and they're very close to each other. And you shine a laser through a very small opening. Like and a keyhole. Hit, like a keyhole. And hit a surface inside. What happens when so you pull... Yeah. With the keyhole, the number of surfaces that you like, you can't really choose the surface you hit inside because That's you're right. looking through a keyhole. So you can basically hit whatever, probably whatever a wall it is on the other. Side. That's it, right? Right. And you know about um, distance finders, laser distance finders? Have you seen these? Uh, yeah, they work by measuring the speed of light and bouncing a little laser pulse off of yes. something and then measuring when it comes back, right? That's how li LiDAR works, actually. Yeah. Which and so... LiDAR is insane. LiDAR should not work, but it does. <laughs> so this is effectively uh, LiDAR. This is doing the same thing. It's measuring the distance of the light. Now, as you said, if you just hit the pulse, if you just hit it in one spot, you would get the distance from that spot. And And in this article, they talk about pulsing. I don't know if the laser pointers pulse. I'm assuming they also do that. But also the laser, po I mean, the laser measuring devices that you get, some t I think they might also be a mix of things. I think they have the pointer, but it also might be a sonic-based measuring device too because it's a little cheaper and less process-intensive to measure the speed of light. Because speed of light, spoiler alert, is really fast. Yeah. So what they're doing in this is measuring the speed of light. So they hit that one surface and the laser, and they do it with a very, very short pulse. They hit that laser uh, one spot, and then they're looking back at the same location to see what light comes back. Okay, wait. And the light can, bounces can off that spot about that? and hits the room. Yeah, go ahead. So to, to a dummy like me who hasn't read the paper, um, you would just get back one data point, right? You'd get back how far away is the wall? You would get that as a primary. Then the light would bounce in the room because light does that. Uh -huh. And it would bounce off the ceiling 
And some of the light that bounced off the ceiling that was parallel would come straight back down and then return back to you. So you'd get another reflection that would be the ceiling. And that would be probably be a relatively large one because it's close and parallel to the floor if you were hitting the floor. Relatively large. That would be tiny, though, because... Well, compared to the other ones I'm going to talk about, it's really relatively large. Because <sighs> okay. the light bounces all over the room. Right. And it Oh, so it's almost and like... And it comes back. It's almost like your little your little laser hitting the wall is almost like a tiny light bulb that does exactly. a little flash. That's exactly right. Yeah. Or the yeah. floor. I was thinking of the floor. That's why I was talking about the ceiling so much. But yeah, exactly right. It's like a little flash of light right there. And just like radar, um, where you bounce signals and you wait for returns and then you calculate out the, the values from that return, you're doing the exact same thing. It just it happens to be that everything returns is from one location because that's all you can see. Can I summarize what you're saying just to make sure I understand? Yeah, please. Okay. You you set up a laser and a sensor, so they're both able to to look through a keyhole at a very specific point just across from the keyhole. Who knows where that is? It could be an object in the room. It could be the wall. But you've got one point that you can fire a laser at, and you can also read back whatever light is coming to it. So you fire a little pulse of laser. The pulse of the laser hits the wall, bounces all around the room, and then it hits a bunch of different things. And those different things reflect the laser, and a little bit of that light comes back to that same point that you're looking at, and then you're able to measure the distance. And so basically you've got this this like single point where you you can understand how much stuff in the room is close to the point that you're measuring at and how much stuff is farther away. And you yes. can kind of get like a, a graph of that, of distance. That's right. And additionally, you can't, you can't tell if something's on the left or the right of that point. Okay. So this, this is the part that becomes magic. <laughs> Are we going to talk you... about math and just wave... <laughs> hand wave it away <laughs> i'm gonna hand wave all of the article because i highly recommend you read it if you if you are at the point where you're like yeah i want more i want more i want more um, go ahead and read the article but the the way the other thing to think about is that it's not just talk we're not talking about primary reflective surface reflections we're talking about secondary tertiary th and keeps on yeah. going so okay. what you start getting is a very large data set that comes back and very large data sets that get produced um, so I, I believe they're using machine learning here and they're, they're reproducing. They actually get a low-res three-dimensional scan of the entire room. But they can't... It's, it must be of moving objects, though, because with just a point, you can't figure out direction. But with a bunch of points you could figure out, okay, we've got some sort of a thing in the in the room that's moving, right? And we've got all of this complex data that there's a bunch of stuff inside of this complex data that no human could understand just on its own, but through the powers of math and, and perhaps <laughs> machine learning, maybe they could reconstruct something. They can. And nicely, nice wave handing. Oh, well, hand waving. That was perfect. <laughs> this is like whenever I talk about crypto, I'm like, and then math happens. And this is the exactly. result. <laughs> okay. Do you have something you want to talk about? Oh, I mean, sure. I did just call you in the morning and say, hey, let's record. You, you literally called me and said, hey, we're recording Geek Speak.
Okay, Ben, what do you want to talk about? Uh, I'm producing my sister's album, which has been a really fun and also humbling experience. It's Does that mean you're re- recording her music? Uh, so, okay, so background. At the beginning of this year, I released the first album I ever made, which was pretty exciting. And then I, I still kind of had some momentum from it. <clears throat> wrote some more songs released the second album um over this both, process both of these albums are available from the show page of this episode if you want to go oh, cool. listen to ben's music yeah then i'll have five listeners uh <laughs> one of which is my mom she listens a lot um she's like half of my spotify streams are my mom i love it um but yeah so so then my sister is like huh i've written some songs uh, over the last decade and so um she put together an album she she um pulled all of her songs together and got a microphone and uh plays guitar and uh yeah and we've been passing logic pro sessions back and forth um and the the knowledge that i the main knowledge that i bring to this is like some knowledge about mixing and mastering and compressors and limiters and EQ and all of the, all of the various um, sound manipulation plugins that you typically will use when creating an album. Uh, I don't actually know what the word producer means. That's so I... <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, I think from the, like the originality of the word, like prior to the music industry or the film industry existing, you are producing something. The thing you're creating is the album. Yeah, but I also feel weird about that term because it's not my music. I didn't write the music. I did not originally produce it. Are you recording any parts of the music or is it just her recording and you're doing the mix? Uh, yeah, there are a couple of songs that I'm singing on and then there are a couple of songs that I do some just some backup vocals on. And you do this all asynchronously? Uh, yeah, yeah. We'll sometimes we'll have um we'll have calls roughly every week and we'll hop on zoom for an hour and a half or two and go through whatever song we're working on. And, um, and usually because I have all of the, all of the equipment set up and everything, um, maybe we'll record a piano track and then we'll kind of work on it together. And, uh, but yeah, it's been, it's been really fascinating. It's also been, uh, I mentioned earlier, very humbling because there are so many things that, uh, can make a a mix sound terrible. (laughs) Like there's so many ways that a mix like what I mean g- give me good. give me an example. Uh, okay, so one is if you're working on if you're working on a piece of music and you're hearing it over and over again, um, you get used to the way it sounds, and then you get these uh, effectively RL blind spots. You can't hear some things that are objectively just kind of wrong with it. Like, uh, I was listening to one of the pieces just on my phone because that can totally reset uh, some of one's expectations when listening to a piece of music. And I realized, oh my gosh, the the vocals are really quiet here. And they're really loud here. And how have I not heard this in the last two months, you know? Yeah. And it's just because you hear it over and over and over again. This is the way it sounds. And so trying not, to get those things right is really hard. You're not taking in new information when you hear something over and over again. So your brain's not processing it the same way, right? You're not right. 
Yeah. Or you're taking in a very small, like a slice of it, right? Like, oh yeah, I'm working on the piano in this song. Like, I can hear every little thing that's wrong with the piano, but the thing I'm missing is that the vocals are not easy to understand. I can understand them because I know what the lyrics are, <laughs> but no one else can. So uh, those kinds of things, yeah. And then yeah. also signal processing is hard. It comes down to, I'll put the signal processing thing aside for a second, but it comes yeah. down to that same thing that you have been on kind of a, a kick on for the last few years that our brain's doing a lot to make sense of our senses. And oh, yeah. it oh, invents yeah. things all the time. And great examples of this with orally is those, those ones where it's kind of a, somebody has a recording of some phrase that sounds kind of like English. And then you listen to the phrase and you make up something that it said. And then you can see a whole bunch of sentences um, that it might've been. And as you read the sentence, the audio becomes that thing even though it's kind of not any meaning. Do you know, have you yeah. heard that effect? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, a really great example of this is the ba, ba, ba thing, where, not ba, ba, black sheep, but um, where you'll hear an audio recording of someone saying, let's say, ba, ba, ba. And then if, you, if, if the experimenter or if the researcher overlays a video that's syn synced up of the person going da, 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 so you can see D the mouth sound. with the D sound, uh-huh. Yeah, you can see the D sound. You're actually hearing the audio from the person saying ba with a B, but your brain will hear it as a da. It doesn't matter if you know. Right. The people who are doing this research will say, yeah, I still can't not have this happen. Like, this is a thing that the brain does yeah. before you're conscious of any of this. And, and and our reading capabilities will also do that. So if you wrote the word da and you wrote the word ba independently, but the audio never changed, it would it would yep. hear whatever the word said. Yeah, <laughs> Same we're, we're yeah. very vulnerable to suggestion. Okay, so all those things come into effect where it's hard to hear, uh, hard to hear it anew. So do you, what do you do? Right. You you said you changed to listen to your phone, so the audio is completely different. Oh, yeah. I so I love this topic. I will happily tell you a couple of the a couple of the techniques. One is, one is listen to it very quietly. It, it's it's tempting when listening to music to listen to it loud, but if you're mixing music, if you're doing production on music, you don't want to listen to it loud because the mm -hmm. louder you play something, first of all, the frequency response of our ears actually changes. Like we will hear more. Oh, which which is it? I think we'll hear more bass and treble when it's louder. And less when it's when it's not as loud, um, or maybe it's the opposite way. I can't remember. But but in any case, if you listen to it quietly, you can actually hear things more clearly. Another thing is if you listen to it so quietly that you literally cannot hear it, and then you just turn it up a little bit, a little bit, a little bit until you can hear the first thing. That first thing that you hear for most songs should be the vocals. Oh, Even if you can't understand exactly what the words are, if you can hear the vocals first, that's usually a good sign. I had a friend that recorded a lot. He, was, he has a few different uh, bands. They're kind of virtual bands, and he has released CDs. And he said that one of the things he would do as one of his final mixes, he'd burn a CD of the audio, and then he'd go to his car and play it in his car. Yeah, I did that yesterday, but without the burning a CD part. <laughs> you didn't burn a CD? <laughs> no, I, I put it on Dropbox. Uh, but yeah, so, so yesterday I went for a drive. I listened to the whole album. 
and um, occasionally would pull over and record some audio notes and then drive again. Nice. And then this morning uh, or, and last night, I came back. And I made all of the changes that I had suggested for myself. And it was a lot of changes, even though the songs were basically done. And then this morning, I played, actually just before you called me, I played the whole album on my phone and came up with a couple of other things. And it, it's just interesting, the the list. It's just a, a bunch of little things, like, um, like tweak the drums a tiny bit. Because when I was listening in the car, I didn't hear kind of the funkiness of the timing of the hi-hat being a little bit off or... Small vocal your car volume was tweaks in the last section of of the second song. Like, I'm sorry, say that again. Small volume, small uh, vocal volume tweaks in the last section. Like, there would be maybe a word, just a word that gets lost. And in the in the context of the phrase, if you know the phrase, you don't notice that it gets lost. Um, like we were saying. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. actually, the term in in audio engineering for this is. Uh, getting your mix to translate in other words if you listen to it on nice studio monitors but basically really good speakers that's not the same as listening to it on more bassy car speakers with road noise or listening to it on tinny iphone speakers yeah. and both my sister and i know that my mom's only going to listen on the iphone so it's important to get that one right especially since she's your audience <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. She's half the audience. I mean, That's unless awesome. this episode, you know, really takes off. Okay. So then you said single. The another thing is hard is signal processing. Is that what you said? Yeah, signal processing. Okay, so what do you mean there? So, um, just to give an example, uh, actually, to give the example of my voice right now, we're using a service which is going to do some processing to our voices, right? Um, to to make them more podcast ready. If you just took the raw signal of our microphones, especially if we didn't have as good microphones or if we didn't know to maintain the same distance from our microphones when recording and everything, which is those are things you learn in radio, um, you'd need to kind of normalize the volume. So that way it's called AGC, automatic gain control. You don't find that in, in producing records or albums or whatever. But other things are things like compressors where you are compressing the dynamic range of the signal. In other words, you're making the quieter sounds a little bit louder and the louder sounds a little bit quieter. And so then if I kind of pull away from the mic a little bit or if I get really close or if I say one word louder, it's not going to sound as drastic to the listener as it might if you just listen to the raw audio signal. And then uh, another thing that you can do can I, is... Can yeah, I say something please. here? Yeah. Um, for just audio recording, I'm sorry, for just voice recording, which I've done a lot of editing of voice, obviously, for 20 mm -hmm. years of doing radio, um, yeah. in that, it's hard enough to do this. Even when you've just got three people speaking with different uh, mics, or if they're all in the same recording, which used to be always that way, it's very hard to get that right. And when you make your loudness too hot, um, it's actually harder for the ear to hear. But it's, yeah. I mean, it's, it's easier to hear all of it, but it's harder on the human's processing system. Um, yeah. If you remember when we used to have commercials all the time, you'd notice you'd be watching oh. some television show and it had some kind of floor, and then the commercials would get really loud. They weren't actually louder from a peak perspective. They were just more compressed, yeah. um, and so they sound louder. But it also means your ear is operating in a very short range of its capabilities in the higher volume range, if you will. So it's just not as a pleasant experience. Yeah, um, it feels like a wall of sound. Yeah. So yeah, getting that like, getting that level is tricky for audio for voice. I can't imagine what it's like for music. 
if you want to hear an example of a lot of compressing and, and limiting, limiting is basically just like a, a very hard uh, version of compression, like um, uh, a, a very extreme version of comp compression. But if you listen to something like death metal versus, let's say, um, a piano concerto, you know, the piano concerto is going to have some loud louds when they're slamming down at the piano, but it's also going to have some very quiet, quiets. The dynamic range is really large, but um, death metal screamo, everything is just completely smushed into, you know, the 95 to 100% uh, loud range. And of course, t uh, television commercials would do that because they want to get your attention. Yeah. And this is one thing that streaming services have actually really done a good job around is that instead of trying to get your sound song to sound loudest on the radio spotify will penalize you if your song is too loud they'll just turn your song down you know so uh there's a there's a um a way of measuring loudness that's not peaks it's called luffs l-u-f-s and minus 14 luffs is the typical standard thing. yeah yeah, if you go above that, Spotify will turn you down. If you're below that, Spotify might turn you up. It's great because Luff's um, vault level is a is a calculation capability. Like you have to calculate it. You can't just yeah. hear it. No, I mean, I guess people that are really good at audio would maybe it's could kind tell. Kind of like an average type of yeah. It's thing. kind of like it's an a more average. complex equation, but it's like an average. But I just love this idea that we have this new value that doesn't represent anything a human can really do. You have to use tech to get that. Uh, what that level is i think that's the the uh, maybe ironic is the wrong word but i feel like saying the ironic part about it is that these me these measures exist to try to emulate how loud something sounds to us yes yeah that's i mean that's the really interesting part is that you're saying that spotify turns it down if you're too loud no it's not that it's too loud it that it would sound too loud <laughs> to it a would human sound ear. louder to a <laughs> yeah. human yeah exactly yeah. This is this is always a big debate in radio um, because depending on the different type of music style, you actually want to change your compression ratios. But the C oh, yeah. CDs and like original sources normally don't have as much compression as you'd want to put like on FM. And so radio stations will have compressors that do certain things to the audio, but they should actually be tuned to the type of music. So when you and I used to do yeah. KOSP, um, there you could actually modify the processing to match the show. So when you had radio talk shows like us you'd have one level but then a classical show would come on for three hours and you'd want the processing to be different and i remember talking to the engineer about how he was trying to do that uh, but the big thing he said is oh just talk a lot closer to your microphone on the radio because if you do yeah. that the limiting process will kick in and you'll you'll get boosted from the limiting process rather than the yeah. standard yeah. uh compression. yeah that would i think we've talked enough about audio for now oh sure yeah okay um, I mean, I'll you, talk about it for five hours. If I you know, want, but... <laughs> but we both have work to do. Um, you did you have you, another topic? I do, and you can listen to Ben's uh, music that he's already produced. Um, there'll be links to on the show notes. Ben, in 1969 and the early 1970s, um, I was not born. No, we were not born. The environmental um, issues reached a kind of crescendo in the United States, and this culminated in the first Earth Day. You know about Earth Day, right? Mm -hmm. After Earth Day, because it kind of became a zeitgeist to pay attention to, um, this company called the Container Corporation of America, Chicago-based, decided to have a contest 
to get um, a new symbol for their recycling of paper initiative. So they went to colleges and kind of said, hey, you know, submit something. And a guy by the name of Gary Anderson, who was 23 at the time, um, drew the three arrows chasing each other recycling symbol. You know the one I'm talking about? I do. That's the little triangular one that you see on the bottom of um, containers. And yes, um, for years, this this person that submitted it was lost. And finally, recycling aficionados found him. And he lives in Baltimore. And he's um, been a successful person and all that stuff. But the the symbol over time has changed quite a bit. What was really interesting about that that paper symbol from that one company is it it became the de facto recycling symbol for lots of things, not just for this corporation. Right. And now it is the symbol that we see on our recycling bins. We see it on uh, anytime you you know go visit go to a place that has recycling, and you see it on the stamps on plastic. And the article right. I wanted to mention specifically is um, an Ars Technica article talking about a bill that's passed um, the legislature of California to require the plastic symbol to not be put on stuff that you can't really recycle. So doesn't this seem like a no brainer? <laughs> why wasn't this long time ago? <laughs> I don't I know mean, if uh, Newsom like... signed it yet, by the way, but yeah, uh -huh. go on. Yeah. It, it just kind of seems silly. So does this mean that you can literally just put that symbol on anything? Well, you know how the symbol has numbers in it? Yeah. And you can talk about the numbers One and look them up seven. and all that? Yeah, yeah, some of those numbers... So I don't know... I, I didn't look at this detailed enough to know if... I do if, know a little bit about this. Yeah. I, don't, do I didn't know... look at this article de detailed enough about the bill to find out if they're just limiting some numbers or if it was possible to put the symbol on anything. But basically, yeah. the symbol is now going to be restricted so that you only cool. can put it on when it represents a high probability of being recycled in California. You know, um, there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Uh, one and two are pretty recyclable. Three, four, I think, are harder to recycle. Five and six, if I'm remembering right, and this is old knowledge because I, I toured a recycling facility back like 12 years ago. It was really cool. Um, but I think five and six, I, I don't know if we really have the capacity to recycle those things in most places do you know what seven stands for no everything else <laughs> i'll do the jump in the world not, seven is not a type of plastic seven is everything else and so uh, to my understanding seven will never be recyclable wow yeah I, I mean, so i wonder sense. if i wonder if seven's going away that's my question. Well, anyway, it just it's a it's a no brainer that we actually start informing the popula population about what is recyclable and what's not. Um, yeah. yeah, and yeah, it just makes a lot of sense, right? Because I mean, I think I would more likely grab stuff off the shelf that was recyclable. By the way, about nine percent of plastics are recyclable uh, that we produce, and about nine percent of the plastics that we get have been recycled, which is kind of cool. Nine nine percent are recyclable. Uh, those aren't necessarily the same 9%. So you've got 9% yeah, of plastics. 9%. <laughs> yeah. 9% of plastics you could put in the recycling bin and then they would be recycled. Yeah. And then of of the plastics we get, uh, probably different 9%, mostly different 9% are plastics that used to be something else. 
Yeah, yeah, reused. Um, supposedly, aluminum is extremely good at recycling. It's really easy to recycle aluminum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Always glass is not bad, of course. foil in the recycling. Yeah. Well, Ben, that's, that's these articles I've got. Um, you can read more about these up at geekspeak.org. Um, you can subscribe to the podcast, obviously. And... Uh... Oh, that was the wrong one. But I'm not going to edit that out. GeekSpeak is a registered service mark of David Lawrence, who's used with permission. I'm Lyle Troxel. Today was Ben Jaffe, and we've been talking about recycling, uh, laser listening, and audio processing. Do you like episodes like this, where Ben and I don't edit it, we just talk to each other real quick, um, yes. and chat about what's on our mind? Or is this the kind of thing, nah, skip it. If you'd liked it, let us know. If you didn't like it, don't let us know. That The negative information is actually, no information is actually what we need. But if you if you dig this kind of thing, Ben and I can do this every once in a while. It's fun, right, Ben? Yeah. Did yeah, that make true. sense? What I just said. That it, it made sense. Yeah. Okay. Good. Anything else you want to add? Um. No. Until next time. Stay Until safe. next time. All right. Have a good day at work. I didn't know if the song was going to end, Ben. Yeah. It did. Yeah, it ends. It ends.